Hello and welcome to episode 210 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today on the podcast, I welcome Chris Shepard from Everyone Asked About You. If you're not aware, this band was a late 90s gem that I missed myself during that time. After finding out about them through some friends at Numero Group and talking to Chris, they've intersected and overlapped with many of the bands at the time in their home of Little Rock, Arkansas. Chris and I talk a lot about where he's from, seeing early emo bands, being in a band with a woman around that time, and connecting with Ken Chipley from Chi Records, who now runs Numero Group, and subsequent reunion shows, and the music being available again for the world. Plus, we preview the upcoming Numero 20 showcase they're playing in LA next month. Finally, we talk to Chris about his career now that I guarantee you will not want to miss. I have to say, talking to bands I never knew but connect with them instantly continues to affirm my belief in a special time as a genre and as a music scene. This band, I would have been obsessed with it back in the day. Girl and guy vocals, super dissonant, greats, peaks, and valleys, heaven. So thank you for listening. Also, thank you to all the Patreon supporters out there. I appreciate you uh, supporting the DIY endeavor. If you want to help, just $1 for patreon.com slash washedupemo. You have access to the Discord and hang out with everybody. And then thank you, Double Elvis, our network. Truly amazing set of podcasts I am proud to be a part of. Learn more at doubleelvis.com. This is episode 210 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Chris Shepard from Everyone Asked About You. around quite a bit um in my elementary school years i was born in gainesville florida lived in uh just outside of boston uh early on in first grade and then uh rural wisconsin for several years before moving to um little rock arkansas in seventh the summer before seventh grade um, and I was in Little Rock uh, until halfway through ninth grade, and then I went away. I was a, uh, a fairly high-achieving athlete, so I went away to boarding school to train for swimming for a year, um, and then returned back, and that was in Florida, and then I returned back to Little Rock halfway through my sophomore year of high school. And I was there, uh, so that would have been 95, I believe, yeah, Um and I was there uh, until I moved to Boston in 2001. When did you start playing music or when did you kind of find out that there's this other thing outside of the radio? So um, I'm the third of four uh, kids and my oldest sister is 10 years older than me. Uh, I was born in 78 and um, my older brother is three years older than me. And they were both into music. My sister loved like new wave and like all that eighties pop stuff. And my brother was like a kind of a college rock kid. So he, he introduced me to like the Smiths and my sister and you two. And then my sister introduced me to, um, to a lot of that eighties stuff. My dad was a huge jazz fan. Um, and it was kind of a thing in my family that you had to learn how to play an instrument. Um, so I was taking piano lessons from a really young age. I had always wanted to play the guitar. 
Um, and when I was living in Wisconsin, I asked to learn how to play the guitar and my uh, parents told me I had to learn how to play like proper, like orchestral instruments first. So in third grade, I picked up the cello um, as part of the school band or school orchestra. And then in fourth grade, I picked up the alto saxophone. I wanted to play the trumpet, but I had a bunch of orthodonture and my orthodontist was like, you're not allowed to play the trumpet. Um, so I, I picked up the saxophone. So I was doing piano um, and cello and saxophone uh, up until um, I hit high school. Um, but music wise, uh, like I said, I, I you know, I, I've always really liked music. My my mom and dad were big like Van Morrison, Fleetwood Mac and and jazz fans. My And then my older sister and my older brother had their tastes. And then me and my best friends in elementary school were like big Madonna and Paula Abdul fans. Like we loved Madonna and Paula Abdul, which is weird to think about now. Um, but, uh, and then I also, I also took dance classes for several years cause I was kind of a chubby kid and didn't really want to play sports when I was younger. And so my parents had to figure out something for me to do that was active. <clears throat> and so I, started taking um, dance classes when I was young and like really got into um, like musical theater uh, soundtracks. So that was like that, you know, there was some radio stuff through my older siblings and then like a bunch of stuff that was either like classic rock or, um, or whatnot. And then this like weird musical theater thing. Um, and then when I moved to Arkansas, um, was like when Nirvana broke on, on MTV with like, you know, I would stay up my brother and I would stay up and watch 120 minutes and, and all of that when we were, you know, sixth, seventh grade. And, and I remember when Nirvana broke, that was big. Um, and then that was kind of my entry point into, um, something other than kind of like, you know, what was the, the predominant, um, radio, uh, pop. Um, and like Nirvana was huge and that led me down the rabbit hole into, you know, all the other grunge. And then my brother came home from, he and I went to the same boarding school, but we were there at different times. And he came home with a copy of, um, of a stereo lab record and Sonic Youth goo. Uh, and when I heard Sonic Youth, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that is it. That's, I love this. Um, and, you know, and he also introduced me to like the Pixies and, and basically all of that, like late eighties, early nineties college rock, which like really spoke to me. And then I went off to boarding school and had a lot of time. Um, like, you know, I had stay living in a dorm so there's a bunch of people that i that all had different kind of music tastes and i remember well actually flashback to eighth grade before i went to boarding school one of my classmates um gave me a mixtape that had a bunch of fugazi on it which was like the first time i had heard any like real like punk rock um and it was a bunch of songs off of repeater and i thought that was really like a whole, it was a, it was a different world from even like Sonic Youth and Nirvana. <clears throat> um, 
uh, and then, so then I ended up going to at boarding school and discovered I was in Jacksonville, Florida, and there's this, there was this little neighborhood called um, Five Points, and there was a record store there, and so I would spend my free time on the weekends going to the record store, and and that's where I discovered my love for like indie rock. So like, uh, Icky, I think Icky Metal came out that, while I was um, while I was there by Arches of Loaf and um, Foolish by Superchunk was huge for me. Got uh, um, B Thousand, the, the Guided by Voices record. So all that stuff that was being played on Alternative Nation or 120 Minutes was was um, was kind of starting to strike a chord. Or actually, it was if <laughs> you saw it on Venus and Butthead, uh, <laughs> and they were making fun of it. I probably liked it. Um, and and then when I came back to Arkansas in '95, yeah, '95, um, one of my former teammates had stopped swimming, and he was my best friend for you know from seventh through ninth grade. And he had stopped swimming and, and had picked up the guitar and started going to like the DIY shows in Little Rock and made and, and made a bunch of friends in that community, that scene. And um, and so he one day just invited me to come to a show uh, with him. Um, and like we had we had he, he and I had played music uh, together in, you know, I wouldn't really call it a band, but we played some music together. Neither of us really knew what we were doing on our instruments um, because I finally was able to get a guitar, got a guitar for Christmas and in, in eighth grade. Um, and so we would just like fuck around uh, at, at my house playing music. <clears throat> and, um, and so then he, uh, Again, uh, let's see. This would be '95 again. He invited me to, my, to invited me to join him on to go to to like a DIY show with him, and it was at a um, an old like a silk screening warehouse. Uh, one of the one of the, like the DIY punk kids in Little Rock's older brother had a silk screening company, and would let him run shows out of it every once in a while, and so my first. My first like uh, DIY show in Little Rock was uh, Boys Life in Giants Chair. Wow! Uh, and that was that was just that was awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's just the you know being able to. Uh, we were the same age, so like that Nirvana moment, the same thing for me. Um, I didn't have as much indie rock. I was horrible at staying up on Sunday nights. Um, but I, I think hearing, knowing that, and then seeing something like Boys Life and Giants Chair in that warehouse. Do you? What else do you remember about that um, night? Um, I remember there being like a very tight knit group of friends that were just dancing their butts off. Later, come to find out, they're all the Sufi Nun Squad kids, which was like a long-standing stalwart band in they were from North Little Rock, but they play, you know, they played in North Little Rock is essentially a five minute drive from Little Rock. Um, and, uh, and then them having this like wild energy that I had never been around before 
um, and wild in, in like the best way. They were just like, just so goofy and happy and having a ton of fun. Like, you know, like, uh, just like fake mosh pit, slow-mo mosh pit dancing. Um, I remember like it was the first concert I had ever been to or show that I had ever been to where like the band was on the floor, the same level as the the crowd, you know, the crowd stood completely around the bands. Um, and it was like the, I was, uh, I never really imagined that there was like, Oh, these are just like some people, my, like roughly my age, who are like hundreds of miles away from their hometown playing in a warehouse. Oh, this is like something that any, anybody can do. Right. Like, Oh, that's, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, it was so, and then I remember just the, and boys life quickly became one of my favorite bands at that, at the time. Um, just that the Al- golf Hill drive had just come out and, um, and the, I think the giants chair first LP had recently come out, um, as well. And so I immediately bought, like walked over and like spent all of my cash on buying every record that was on the table. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was, it, it, it was just being surrounded by all of these kids that like my, my same age, it's not like I'm, I didn't have to pay, you know, 35 bucks, which was expensive at the time to go see like a, you know, a big show. Um, I mean, bef- prior to that, I think maybe like the only concert I'd ever real concert I'd ever been to was I saw the black crows in eighth grade and um which was fun and great and they were they were a, a, a fantastic band but like it was just a whole different world uh, very eye-opening um and so that like pretty much quick like kick-started me um like really buckling down and trying to learn how to play the guitar better trying to find friends to play music with and um and going to shows as much as I could and like meeting people. And I went to a, I went to an all a, a, a new school for me that I'd never been to before when I came back to Little Rock. Um, and so I, I quickly met a bunch of, um, a bunch of kids that were, uh, you know, connected to that community. I mean, the, the thing about Little Rock was it wasn't, it, it, I don't know what it's like now. I haven't been back since 2004. I guess by the next time I'll be back is in December when we play our first show. Um, <clears throat> but the the thing about Little Rock is I the sense that I always got was that it wasn't large enough for there to be like a bunch of separate scenes for each little niche, right? Like the the drama kids and the band kids and the metal kids and the the punk punk rock kids. And all were all that, that like the thing to do was to go to to the show at the riverfront or the show at 800 state or or go hang out at the benches and play foursquare with your friends like the, it, all of the kind of quote unquote weirdos hung out together 
Um, and <clears throat> so when I, you know, started back at this new high school, I, my best friend Lloyd, uh, was, was there and he introduced me to a bunch of his friends and, um, you know, we would sit at lunch together and listen to, you know, somebody's mixtape they made of the seven inches that they bought or like the, the, you know, the latest, you know, Drive Like Jehu or Rock from the Crypt or, or whoever came through town three weeks ago um, and the record that, that, that they had just put out and, and, and just like hang out and then go and see whatever show was happening that night at, down at the Belvedere on the, on the riverfront or whatever. So, um, I think I forgot the question. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're, you know, you're perfect. What did you, like you were, you were kind of talking about that experience at that show, because I think that's that, those moments, like you said, you saw that band, you're like, I got to play guitar more. I got to search out. Like what rabbit holes did you go down from like, from those mixtapes were you finding out about labels uh, we haven't brought up the word yet but i will but have you did you start to kind of <laughs> see some connections or because again remember that you didn't have anything to search you had distros and zines and i was from a small town i you know little rocks bigger than where i came from but it's still uh, out of the way a little bit so how did you start to go down the rabbit hole of bands and then labels did you start to see connections between things well, it was it. So uh, the rabbit hole was like going to every show, any any show that I could get to, I would go. Um, everything was like pay what you can. Usually, it was a three dollars suggested donation for touring bands. Um, typically, like the one like proper club at the time was called, and it's still there. It's called Vino's. And it's like a pizza restaurant on the front with a venue in the back. <clears throat> um, and uh, so it was a lot of like, like it would be like, you know, a touring band would come through and, and then a couple local bands would play and I would go and buy kind of whatever, like pick up whatever seven inches I could find, whatever zines I could find. Uh, every, I don't remember who would, who was like providing them to the, to the, like at the shows but at one at some point like heart attacks showed up like a stack of heart attacks would show up at a, at a show and everybody would grab their heart attack and then take it home and read it and um and file 13 the record label was still based mm -hmm. in little rock at the time and matt was matt worth who was running it was only a year older than me all the chino horde kids were um were a couple of years older than me and already off away at college. So I didn't really get to know them until they started coming home more regularly for the holidays. Um, but, uh, so I like, because it wasn't a huge scene either, you know, I, I, you know, was, would, would be hanging out with my, you know, best friend Lloyd. And then we would go to, um, to his friend Lee's house and Lee had, you know, hundreds of hundreds of thousands of records. Lee is um, Lee Buford from everyone asked about you in the body. And, and so we would like hang out at his house and play video games and listen to records. And then, um, and he would like, you know, put on 
you know, put on something and say, have you heard this? And and then I, at the same time, I lived down the street from um, this guy, Adam Heathcott, who he ended up, he ended up running home tapes was the record label, I think for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and I became really good friends. We literally lived like three doors apart. He was like, he and I were in like my first like official punk band was with him. Um, and he was like really into the, like, like more hardcore and the kind of like the, the, the more like, um, chugga chugga. Yeah. But also like the, I mean, I, so like the first time I really remember hearing a lot of, um, what I would consider bands that might fall into that emo, um, kind of, uh, category would be like maybe that, um, Oh, what was that called? Uh, the it had it was a comp with Policy of Three and it was LP. Oh my God, I just had it in my head. Um, Old Glory put it out. I remember hearing that. I think probably through Lee um, Lee or um, Rhett, who was in Lee's band um, at the time. <clears throat> but yeah, it was like. Um, so like there was, you know, my Adam Heathcott who, uh, he liked some of the little bit more kind of chugga chugga metallic stuff, but then also he really, like he loved Maximilian Colby and Sleepy Time Trio. Like he booked, he booked their, their shows when they came through Little Rock and, um, and his, um, like long term time partner, I believe they're still together. They met when they were in high school, Sarah, um, she had her own taste and we always, we hung out all the time. Um, and so it was like any, anytime anybody was hanging out with anybody else, it was, have you heard this record? Um, and then on top of that, there was a record store in, um, North Little Rock called, uh, the Arkansas CD and record exchange. And Bill, the guy that ran that place always employed at least one or two punk kids, um, and then let them kind of pick what they would stock in like the punk section. So smart. Like Bill was, but Bill was like a very smart businessman, but also like the, like a ravenous record collector. You walk in and it looked like you were in a library of vinyl. And then he also had a massive CD section and tape section. And then also at his house, his basement was filled with records. And then he would just show up one day with like 200 records in his trunk. And he would have whoever was working have to like price it and put it all out. And he'd, he'd get dudes from like Japan that would come and drop 50 grand on records and have them shipped to Japan wow. for them to sell at their record stores. Like it was crazy. And he did most of his business was like independent soul and gospel music. Wow. People would come and find like, yeah. So, they had you know two boxes of independent and punk uh records that you could get the latest unwound record or whatever and now and actually and now that i say it unwound the um i remember um this kid mike that i went to school with let me borrow his copy of new plastic ideas and that was like they because they were in that it felt like they were in that same genetic tree as sonic youth and nirvana for me which was like my early in my early blood unwound like quickly became 
my favorite band. And it's still actually to this day are probably one of my all-time favorite bands. But it was just like, you know, word of mouth, listening to, you know, mixtapes. Uh, I mean, uh, I got to Little Rock just after um, Chris died. Chris was the drummer for William Martyr. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I never got to meet him or see William Martyr 17 or any of that. And a lot of the town, a lot of the city was still like, I mean, most of them were still kind of like um, mourning and reeling and, and recovering from that. But that was like a pretty heavy duty um, moment where there was a huge, I mean, all, all of a sudden there's a huge void in Little Rock with respects to like bands, bands, but also this personality. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I never, I never got to meet him, but he was so loved by everyone. <clears throat> um, but because of the Chino Horde kind of uh, William Martyr uh, and, you know, there was other bands like Generation of Vipers and whatnot that, that, that kind of legacy people all like bands were always coming through little rock and Matt, Matt worth was booking a lot of shows. Um, and that through, because he knew all of the bands because he was running file 13. Um, so we bands would come through all the time. We, there was a, a matinee at, at some point, like 90, I want to say like 96 of, um, with the makeup and, and like, just random shows that all of a sudden you'd be driving down the driving down the street. You'd stop at the, at the benches, which was like a, an area of town where everybody hung out, and somebody'd say, "Oh, are you going to the are you going to see Cap and Jazz tonight at Summit Street or like whatever?" And they're wow. like, "Oh, I had no idea that was even happening." Wow. Like the flyers for a lot of the shows in Little Rock never even had a location put on it. It was just here. These bands are here in a week. And the show's going to start around eight and then maybe it's three bucks. And there were like three places you could pop by and the, the show would be at one of those places. Usually it would be at the Belvedere, which was a riverfront um, venue. And then uh, at some point, I think I, I want to say it was like 90. It must have been pretty quickly, like 96, early 96 or late 95. Uh and uh, my memory is pretty shoddy sometimes, but at some point during high school, while I was in high school, there was a, um, these two amazing people, Vic and Stacy, who, um, who like just managed to get a storefront in downtown Little Rock. And like it, Little Rock was a, a big, you know, urban spread everyone moving west westward expansion white flight mm-hmm. like the the, the the geographical politics of that town uh in the 90s was is is worth studying for sure but so um the so they managed to get a storefront um downtown and they created a diy punk space called das Utes a go-go um and they started putting up shows there. And this was, this was like, there was the warehouse, the 800 State Street, and they stopped, um, sh- stopped running shows there. And then there was Das Utes. And Das Utes was 
those were the only two places where you could actually look someone in the face and say, can you pay money for the touring bands, please? Right. Um, and so then they, they ended up, ha- um, I'm not sure who was responsible for booking the shows and who was responsible for, um, if they just, if they were providing the space and booking some of the shows, if Matt Worth was booking shows or if it was just like a big mishmash of stuff. But they had tons of really great shows. That's where the makeup played. Um, I saw I saw Boys Life play there when they when the Chrissy Front Drive split came out. Um, I think one of my first shows there was um, Second Story Window. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it was Second Story Window. They were amazing and they were so loud. And 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 that's when I first. I personally first discovered all the gravity record stuff. And so then I, they had like their L their, you know, LP and then a box of gravity record stuff. And so I just went through and bought everything I could. I got, I, I, re- I remember distinctly, I, that's where I got the unwound seven inch, the universal war Armageddon and born again split. I got, I picked up both the first two Antioch arrow LPs, um, they were out of the heroin records and I remember everybody being like, Oh, you got to get the brown paper bag, seven inch. Like, well, it's not there. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> uh, um, and I picked up the angel hair seven inch at that show as well. And so like, and then that opened up a whole other world to me, um, just with what I was listening to. And, and again, this like all the while I'm like sitting in my house, like, trying to figure out how to play music on an acoustic guitar, which, you know, how how do you play punk rock on an acoustic guitar? Um, Or at least that's what 16 year old me thought. Um, And uh, I ended up buying, buying myself an electric guitar um, and and an amp. I can't believe I, I, my first guitar was this beautiful SG that I loved. And then I bought a Marshall half stack. There you go. Why why the the hell? No, like (laughs) a 16 year old kid who's never been in a band before does not need a Marshall half stack, but I had one um, because that's what everybody came who came through town was playing on. Right. Um, And so that's it. Once I got that, that sorted, then Adam Heathcott and I started playing music together. He 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 could play. He was playing drum. He could play drums. He also could play bass. And so he he kind of pulled together this group of kids. Um, and I wasn't. I think friends would say otherwise, but I wasn't straight edge. Like I didn't really enjoy straight edge music so much. I mean, I loved Frail, for example. But I but like. Um, it wasn't like an identity that I connected with, but I just didn't drink didn't smoke, didn't do any of those things, you know, through most of high school. Um, and, uh, but Adam was, was straight edge. And then, you know, I was going, there was a, um, this guy, Theo Witzel, who was from Little Rock and then went to school in Atlanta and was playing in, uh, bands in Atlanta and then moved back to Little Rock and he's uh, he, he was running these vegan potlucks at his house. Um, and so he was on bass because he played bass for his band that I can't remember the name of right now. Um, 
and this guy John, whose last name I can't remember now. Um, we and so we decided we were going to be in this like like heart like punk rock like hardcore bands. We were a hardcore band, and it was there was very politics forward. I mean, I've always had a very strong politically righteous side to me. Um, I think right, righteous is the wrong word, but in high school, I think I was pro- fairly righteous about you know just kind of my beliefs about justice and mm-hmm. and equality and um, liberation. Um, and a lot of that was and, and so you know Theo was hyper political minded. Um, and, and so, and all, I mean, all of us were, but so then we decided we were going to start this, this like hardcore band. Um, I was t- terrible. Like I could not play, definitely couldn't sing, uh, or even shout. Um, and so it was primarily John and Theo, um, you know, writing lyrics perform- and, 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 and being on vocals. And it was one of those bands where we would talk more than we would play because we were trying to explain the importance totally. of the cause that was being covered in the in the music. And then the music was like kind of chugga chugga. Um, and but I was just so excited to play a show. Um, and so that was my like my first band and quickly like first band that played like real shows. Lloyd and I had been messing around. Um, but like, and it, it was very different. What, what, what Adam and we all were doing was very different than what was happening in Little Rock, which in and of itself, there was no like predominant genre. There was a lot of like K records style kind of, um, you know, pared down bass guitar, one floor Tom as the drum. Um, there was, you know, this, this kind of like, uh, emo ish, like post William Martyr, post Chino Horde, uh, kind of, um, stuff happening. And then there was this like chugga chugga band and then there were metal bands. Um, and then Sufi Nun Squad, who was on a whole other plane, like the punkest thing I've ever seen, punkest thing I think I'll ever see. Um, but there was like no genre. They, and and it was just about having like they had so much fun while also like being like hey we should be like cool to each other like the world sucks and we should be we should be nice right (laughs) to each other (laughs) um and so that band was really short-lived but while i was in that i also started playing with that was the first band that i ever played with lee buford or is this i started playing with lloyd and lee um and this guy Rhett and so uh Lee Lee and Rhett were in this band called Class of 84 they were uh they were kind of like I would consider them like Fugazi inspired like emo-ish like William Martyr of that of that make of that model um and uh and I was just so excited to to be able to play um something that wasn't kind of like chugga chugga um and you know it, it uh, we we i and i was like in full like at this point i was full unwound obsession <laughs> and 
And so we all had mar- like we had two Marshall half sacks and a you know Ampeg, you know eight by ten. Like we had the setup right, and um, we were the loudest band. And I and all I all I all we all wanted to do was sound. I mean, at least from my perspective, we all wanted to sound like Unwound. Maybe I was projecting that on them, but that's. That's what I thought. So, um, you know, doing our best to play play kind of angular and um, interesting and quiet, loud and um, and and that was that was a that was a very fun band to play in, um, and that quickly kind of took a lot of uh, all of our energies. Um, and like we got we got to play Memphis once. We opened for the VSS. Wow! At a warehouse, um, which was super cool. Um, I remember seeing them and being like, "Oh my god, they have a light show!" Oh, and it's controlled by his feet. Like he steps on pedals, and then the lights change. Somebody should. We should do that. Let's figure that out. How do we do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> never figured it out. My ADD brain was not like willing to focus long enough to figure out how to do all that. But um, that was that was really. Um, pretty cool. And then other ways that I got introduced to new, new stuff. I, I like one year I drove, I had the station wagon, um, and I drove me and Matt worth and this guy, Jeff, who ended up putting out one of the, everyone asked about you, um, singles and two, we had one, two chip King, who's in the body came with us. We have one, we had seven people in my, um, station wagon. We drove to the Columbus, uh, the more than music fest, uh, summer of 97. Oh, wow. Um, and so that was who played that year. Braid promise ring, the locust, Jenny Piccolo. Like that was, that was that year. Um, that was before the locust had to add the to their name. Um, <laughs> and the only record they had out was the split five inch with Jenny Piccolo. And I remember, I remember seeing that and that was like basically seizure inducing. They had somebody in the back of the, of the VFW hall, like flashing the lights on and off. They had an air raid siren that they turned on in the middle of the set. Um, but you know, at the, you know, at the festivals, they just had like, Merch table after merch table, you just walk around and the distros are there and you just grab. But I would just scour Heart Attack. Who's got a cool ad? Who's got like, whose graphic design looks good? Like I really was not super, like a lot of the graphic design of that time was was terrible because people started to learn how to use computers to do graphic design and I thought it looked so awful. Right. Um, And then... And so, yeah, that was, that was that whole, that was that. Or or there, or like flip through, um, you know, you flip through Heart Attack and read reviews. But most of it was shows. Like I remember seeing Ezra, it was Ezra Pound, Trigger Quintet, and Car Bomb came through. And I like, and the Ezra Pound Car Bomb split seven inch had just come out. Um, and that was, they played at Das Utes and that was amazing. Um, and then I immediately was like, oh, I'm going to follow this Ezra Pound band, figure out what they're all about. And then, you know, maybe a year later, 
Ryder and Maria came through for the first time. And I was like, oh, they are, they're great too. Um, yeah, you just like hang out on the, the, hang out on the curb outside the show and hang out with the bands and then sit in their van and listen to whatever they were listening to on tour. Right. Or whoever, whoever they just played with. I remember, so I graduated high school in 97 and decided I was going to take a gap year. I was going to school in Little Rock anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided I was going to take a year off before college. I, 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 I just loathe organized education. Um, and, um, and so this was my way of like putting it off as long as possible. Um, and I remember, uh, I started booking shows my senior year of high school. And I remember Matt worth going off to school and being like, you know, being at a show and being, and asking people like, whose number can I give out to, to like have, because the bands all call me. Cause I, I, cause, because, you know, Bert from Cheeto Horde gave everybody my number and now I'm leaving. Right. And so I need to give people a number to call. Um, and so I, you know, I, Adam Heathcott and I both offered up and then everybody else, there was all these other people who had connections as well. And so I just remember I never used email to book shows. Um, it was always just making a phone call and then writing it down in a notebook. Right. Um, and, but yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, and, and because we, we, you know, Little Rock is a town where we, Econo Christ came from here and then there was Chino Horde. I mean, there are tons of other bands, but then there was Chino Horde and then William Martyr. Um, and they all just like, they just, we're going to go on tour. So they went on tour and then they would come back and they would like, Bands never thought that they couldn't go on tour. They would just figure out what they were going to do and go do it. Right. And if it it might be a total disaster, it might be a wreck, but it, um, but that's but you you go and then that that's a whole other way. They then come back with the records from the bands that they played with, or um, or like this the name of a a band that they had seen and and thought were amazing, and so they told them they should come through or whatever. Um. You know, and like every, like it felt to me like everybody was in a band. Like it, 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 I mean, not, not everybody, but like anybody that I spent a considerable amount of time with was either in a band or trying to, wanted to be in a band and was trying to figure out how to be in a band. Um, and, and anybody that was in a band was in like six bands. Right. But I, mean, I, I think when, yep. No, I was just saying like what the, you, you were in it. Like it was, I've got this going on. I have this going on. I'm doing this. I'm booking this show or I'm writing this thing or I'm working at the record store and I'm in two bands. Like it was, it was, um, it was all in. Yeah. And especially for those smaller places that, not, I mean, I grew up in the small place. There's not a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was like, but the, it was this, I, I, I I, I work with teenagers now and I'm always, and, and they, you know, they're all, they're all city kids. So I'm like, I can't even, I cannot fathom any of them having for better or for worse, any of them having the same kind of experiences that I had when I was in high school where we would like, you, you know, everybody would, I was, I, I had a zine and I was, and I ran a very tiny 
uh, distro, which only ever was able to sell 10 copies of the cap and jazz LP. And then nobody else bought anything that else that I, I got. <laughs> and, and, but then you, we ever like all summer long, you'd go to a show, uh, or you'd go to work at the pizza place. Cause everybody worked at one of three pizza places. And then you'd go to the show after the, after the pizza place or after work. And then from the show, you'd go, skinny dipping in West Little Rock. You'd climb a fence at a country club and break into one of their town, their like neighborhood pools and you go skinny dipping and you maybe bring the touring band with you. And so you'd have like 35 kids in a pool and then, and then you'd all hop in your cars and caravan to the diner in North Little Rock and eat dinner at 1230 in the morning. And then you go home. Right. And, um, or you'd go, like wander the super Walmart at one o'clock in the morning. Cause it's open 24 hours. And, and like, but that was, but that, and that was like every night all summer long. Right. And it was, it was like, it was wild. So it was so much fun. Um, and it was, it was fun and it was magical, like magical. Um, and and the music was like was an important part of it, but in Little Rock, it didn't feel like it was the most important part of it. And you know, we, there were kids that would go to the shows who didn't like the music; they just liked the pe- the community, um, which was always like something that was something that was really interesting to me because I'd see bands that I didn't like, but I really liked the people. Um, you know, or we, we, we'd play a show with a band and I, I wouldn't particularly enjoy their music, but I liked the people and then we'd become friends. And, and so then, you know, I'd see that band play, you know, 15 times because I really like the people in the band. Right. Um, cause we're all, you know, like-minded, somewhat counterculture, trying to figure out ways to create art that, um, that really spoke from kind of our deepest places, I guess. What about the word, you know, emo and people saying it then, or if you're at the More Than Music Fest or when you were seeing some of these bands, what was the, well, obviously we know the responses later, but what was the response to that word then for you? I mean, so, um, like the, the first times that I started to hear it, which like, I mean, I came back from boarding school and then and I go to a show and then I'm like, I've never heard music like this before. And somebody's like, Oh, it's emo. And I'm like, okay, cool. Right. Um, it really was just for me, it came across as a descriptor. It was just a way to describe the, the sound or style of music that, that um, the band was playing um, there was, you know, there was like hardcore and there was emo and there, it wasn't used as a derogatory term. Cause I think like that term had already been kind of applied to a lot of the bands that were huge in Little Rock that were really popular, like cap and jazz had come through bef- like after one of their seven inches and braid would come through all the time. William Martyr was from Little Rock. Chino Horde was from Little Rock, and while and and everyone loved Rites of Spring and Fugazi and Embrace, and so 
I never heard it being applied as derogatory until, um, until like getting outside of Little Rock. Right. Now there may be people in Little Rock who would have used it. Maybe some of the older uh, generation, um, you know, some of the tr- trusty or Econochrist guys or whatever. I don't. I have no idea. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. But the people that I was hanging out with, it was it was like, it was just like saying like indie rock or right. college rock or whatever. It was just like a descriptor for that music, and you know, it was like you know, it, it was. Everyone loved Captain Jazz. Everybody loved Braid. Bob and and Chris and all of them, they were great. Roy was like the best drummer I'd ever seen live. And um, and so like uh, no, I take that back. Chris Wilson is the best drummer I've ever seen live. Um, <laughs> but the the um, it was just it wasn't a derogatory term and and it was Weird. I'd never felt weird about describing the music that I listened to as emo until I moved to Boston in 2001, and then the kind of rise of of like the the hot topic brand version, and like you know, seeing kids or whatever. I mean, I re- I remember the big thing that people made fun of would be like white belt and tight tight pants, right which like I wore a white belt and had tight pants. So like I wasn't making fun of that. And like, also I didn't give a shit if somebody was going to make fun of me. Um, no, that's, uh, that, that's definitely the, I think again, the time period, the age and this, I, I, I'm I'll, I'll go to my grave. There was this little moment where it was before things got fast and this word was sort of almost in this protected state between scenes and it hadn't, but I just saw pieces of this being like, this is the catchiest song I've ever heard. Like this thing is right. that, why is this not on the radio? I remember saying that um, in 99 or 2000 or even like, why, why is this not on the radio? Like this is the catchiest thing. So I obviously had no clue that there were people listening to that stuff and making, you know, continuing to evolve. But um, yeah, that's, it's, it's very cool to hear about Little Rock and how like the similarities and um I think one of the challenges, once things got fast, as you describe it, um, well, I think one of the challenges was that, like, in that time period, like that 95 to 99 time period, the word emo, the term emo described everything from Indian summer to, <laughs> to Promise Ring, and those two bands are not of the same genre. Right. Right. They're <laughs> musically or, or like current or, you know, like those, those bands, they're all, they all have some of the same like DNA way down the evolutionary tree, but they're like three sonically wildly different bands. Right. In my mind. And, and, and so people were just using that term emo to apply to anything that was like, not about a very specific like topic of like politics or like the traditional like crust punk uh the world is shit fuck everyone anarchy now kind of um which I actually subscribe to way more now than I did then. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I remember I remember like the preachy bands, like the ones that would talk longer than the song. 
And I was like, okay, that's a thing. And then the hardcore band would play and then the metal band. And then there was this other thing. Like when I saw frail uh, out of like, I had no idea who it was before they came up or policy of three. And I was like, okay, this is different than the talking band, the revelation cover band. And you know, the, the, it was just, it had a little, you know, but, but you're right. All those bands you mentioned, those are all different. Um, it just happened to be that time period. So as things get fast, then people just start using that word emo to describe people who were talking about their feelings or whatever. I mean, I remember the like the first starting to hear people talk about the personal is the political and like the way you have the way you conduct your personal relationships and your, your relationship with yourself uh, informs the way like informs the politics of your greater community, which is very true. Um, but uh, you know, but when things got fast, this idea of anybody who talks about anything emotional or which then quickly in a, in a older teenager's brain gets turned into anybody who sings about love in a non pop manner, like a non like radio pop manner is emo. Right. And that's what I've spent um, the last 15 years trying to help. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and so I, I remember very quickly moving to Boston and meeting people who were in who were like punk rock kids in into that into emo, but then would not use that word to describe it. Right. Yeah. Um, just, it it and, was like, don't use that word. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, OK, I guess I have to if, if I have to speak a common language, it's easier for me to change the way that I talk about it then ask this entire group of people to change the way they talk about it. So hopefully I've been able to kind of draw a picture that like Little Rock, the Little Rock scene was pretty organic. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of like people just hanging out with people all the time. And there were little like sub pockets within that. Um, But uh, so Lee, um, our drummer, and I, like I said, we're in a band with two other guys, um, like loud, angular, um, kind of fugazi, unwound sounding. Um, but we would just go and hang out at Lee's house all the time and play play video games. He, it, they had a spare bedroom that had just musical equipment set up in it because like every, every band that Lee was in would rehearse there. And so we'd play some video games, listen to some records, then jam and and wash rinse repeat over and over again and um i met um i met hannah and we went to the same school in middle school um i met hannah in middle school uh and uh and then uh i met collins in art class um, in my, I guess it was, but it would have been right at the start of my senior year of high school. He was a year younger than me. Hannah is my age. Lee and I were already in a band together and Collins, the other guitar player. And I ended up being sat at the same like table in art class. And we became friends super quickly, um, and had a lot of the same musical interests. And, um, he had just started to go to going to shows, um, if I'm wrong about that, Collins, don't get mad at me, but I, I don't remember seeing him at shows prior to that. Um, and it turned out that Collins lived like three blocks from Lee. And so then he started coming over and hanging out. Um, and he, had, he played the guitar. Uh, he was far more skilled than I was. Um, and 
So Lee Collins and I started uh, just kind of playing around the um, the uh, the rentals um, album had just come out. The first rentals record, great record, um, so good. And Little Rock, like like me, me, all my friends and I were like obsessed with this record. It was so good. And so we, Collins and Lee and I were like, oh well, let's like see if we can write songs that sound kind of like the rentals. And I had I had recently bought um, uh, a, a Moog and. Um, and so we had this keyboard set up and it was the three of us, two guitars, keyboard or synthesizer and Lee on drums. And Lee was really into like uh, hip hop. And so he had a drum machine. And so he was playing around with that. And and um, Hannah, who I like I said, had met in eighth grade. She was part of this group of girls um, who were like super tight knit friends. I say were they still are super tight knit friends. Was, there was like six or seven of them and they called themselves the gals and they were like, they had like this faux gang sign and they like, they would tag the, you know, tag places with their, with their tag and all would just, you know, uh, they were all, they all would go to the shows together. Um, and, um, uh, my friend, uh, I, this girl, Molly, who I had, had gone to middle school with, who, ended up transferring to the same high school I was at. She and I were really tight friends. Um, she, fun story about Molly. She introduced me to Mazzy star in, in eighth grade. And I, that was like a record for the ages for me. I was actually listening to that earlier today. And so she and I had been really close. Um, and she, uh, we were talking about how Collins and Lee and I were playing music together and we were do, trying to like do this like rentals thing. And this is my recollection. The other guys may have a different recollection, but this is my recollection. Um, and, uh, and Molly was like, Oh, Oh, Hannah, she is like, she's taken voice lessons. She's, she's, she knows how to sing. So, and she, you want to ask her? And I was like, sure. So next time we were hanging out, I was like, Hey, you want to come sing with us? because we needed a girl because, you know, stereo lab who had had the girl singers and, and rentals had girl singers and, and none of us, like none of the three of us were skilled enough at our instruments to be able Lee Collins or I skilled enough to be able to play and sing at the same time. Cause I was basically still learning how to play the guitar at the time. And, was, and so that's how we, that's how we added in Hannah to the group. Um, and most of the songwriting was really kind of like Lee Collins and I would like hash out the, the structure of the song and, and, and whatnot. And then Hannah would come in and either she'd write lyrics or we'd write lyrics together, um, and kind of layer on top of that. And, you know, we were like it, the, that first recording session was six songs um that was those were basically our first six songs i think there was a seventh song that we that was like the first song we ever wrote that we just never recorded because we didn't like it very much um and but it was you know this our approximation of like pop like a pop record like the rentals um filtered through what like Heart Attack was calling the Little Rock sound at that point, right? Mm -hmm. like there were bands that had a particular sound, and, and you know, so that and 
that version for us was Marshall half stacks and, you know, Gibson guitars. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of how that came about. I, I mean, I remember seeing promise ring when we, we first started as a band or maybe just before we started as a band, the promise ring came through with their uh, touring on their first seven inch, their LP hadn't come out yet. Um, and braid had been through a bit. So that was like filtering in through to our ears. Um, I believe we were already a band by the time we first saw like another, you know, another band with um, like there was quote unquote emo um, who had boy girl happening, which and that was Ryan and Maria came through. Um, but the, it wasn't like a, let's, have a girl singer because it's unique it was because at when we first started we were like i i personally was like let i'm gonna do a let's do a rentals style band and part of that was there was this uh, little rock used to do this thing i don't i can't imagine that they still do it but they're every summer they used to do a thing called pop fest and it was just like a um it was the the punk kids the diy kids threw it and it was an all-day music fest and people would just make bands to play a one-off show at this pop fest and everybody would try to play like quote unquote pop music. That's cool. And, and then like raise money to, for, I, I, I think the last time that I remember going to pop fest, we raised a bunch of money for the Ryan white foundation, which was helping like they, they needed new tires for their van that was driving people to their like HIV appointments at the time. Wow. And so, and so we raised a bunch of money to buy new tires for, for the Ryan White Foundation, and there would like there'd be a food not bombs table, like a vegan potluck happening at the same time, and and um, and and so I was thinking, oh, we'll we'll like start a pop band and maybe we'll play pop fest this summer or whatever, um, and then it's it's not pop. <laughs> I mean, it's poppy, but it's not pop. <laughs> um. Yeah. And so when, and then, so Hannah was, would like, we were playing in this tiny room with these giant amps, no PA system. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> of course not. And we had like a tiny little PV amp that we could plug to. We could, we plugged the keyboards into it and we also plugged the microphone into it, but it was never loud enough to be able to hear Hannah. Um, so she could never really hear herself sing when we rehearsed. Um, and cause God forbid we turned down and, and then, I, you know, you can kind of hear like, well, during, I learned how to sing and play during that time, um, sort of. Uh, and so then like my vocal style was developed because I had, I was like trying to hear myself over everything. Um, and Hannah knew better than to try to do that. Cause she knew how to not ruin her vocal cords. Um, <laughs> And so that is how we ended up with kind of this, like, as it's now described, this like twee female vocals and then kind of my gruffer vocals. Um, that's, yeah. that's, su start. that's super interesting. I mean, just the out of, out of necessity or happenstance versus, um, uh, forced. And that's, the, that's the part that when someone asks me about emo, 
and they say, well, you know, is it or not? Or do you think it is or not? I just, I kind of always just have like this, is it, was it forced? Is it like, was it just doing what they wanted to do? Cool. And I'm not, I know that that's not a perfect science, but I like that, it, you know, you guys are trying to be the rentals. You can't hear each other. And then all of a sudden you're playing, you know, a certain style of music that people still do. Yeah. And I, I exactly. And, and we quickly, we quickly knew that we didn't sound that way. And, um, and we were perfectly fine with that, right? Like we played our first show and we were fairly well received by, you know, Little Rock and we didn't really know what was going to come of it. Um, because like I said, everybody was in six bands at, at, at all times. And, um, but, uh, I think for Collins and I, because we became really tight friends, um, uh, in that, that my last year of high school and, um, I think for Collins and I, that became like our primary creative outlet. And so we would spend time just playing guitar together and like working things out. And we have like wildly different skill sets and, and playing styles. Um, and so they kind of offset each other quite a bit. Um, and then, it, you know, we're also all discovering new stuff all the time. Like it was, uh, you know, it was the rentals and then it was like built to spill. And then, and it was, you know, Joan of Arc and, you know, Reiner Maria and all the while, like every day I'm listening to the Cap and Jazz LP and, um, and, you know, um, the future of what over and over and over again, like on repeat. And then there, you know, then there was like a wave of everyone being obsessed with the sea and cake right, uh, in Little Rock. And like, and so then we were a band that had keyboards. So then people would, you know, like want to see us with the keyboards and all that. And so it was, um, so you got a good yeah. reaction. Yeah. I think I, we, I think we got a good reaction until we, until the summer of 98 when we played way too much. <laughs> I just think summer of 98, we played like every other week. We played far too many shows. Um, I was setting up shows and, um, we, there were just, there were too many shows in general. And I think we were playing just, I think, People didn't get like people didn't dislike us, but I think they were done hearing us. And we were also working through the material for the LP um, and 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 sorting through all of that. And then also like trying to figure out how that was going to play out and then also writing new music um, on top of that. Like we had written the LP and we were already writing new stuff before we even got into the studio to record the LP, um, which is like, classic. Didn't know any better? Like, yeah, it's when classic. are we going to get enough money to be able to pay to go in and record an LP? Well, we're just going to keep writing because there's more stuff that's inspiring us. So let's keep going. And so I guess I'd like to bring up a few songs just because it's worth mentioning a few. And um, can you talk about um, these are a few that I picked, but feel free to throw in some other ones that are worth mentioning. Uh, Paper Airplane, Paper Hearts. Yes. Okay. I always, uh, I, it's tricky for me, so I can only imagine how it's tricky for anybody who's like new to the band, but, um, so paper airplanes, paper hearts, probably like our, that was the first, no, that was the second song that I ever actually could play and sing at the same time. Nice. Um, the, the first being days like this off that same record. Um, so that song, 
you know, another band that was really um, big for us was Seam. Like mm-hmm. or for you know, we were all kind of really loved Seam, and and that was the the like kind of um, loud part, like the loud part with the with the faster strumming and and whatnot. That that for me was inspired by Seam, um, and it just um it was it was so fun to play because it was like it was the one that i really enjoyed like i enjoyed the lyrics i thought the lyrics were a little bit more um they had more depth to them than other some of our other earlier work um i have a lot of theories about that now when i look look back and reflect but um it was really fun to play and it was you know i was playing fast like i had done earlier in kind of like my the hardcore bands that i had been in um and but it was just this like really fun hannah and i playing off of each other uh, lyrically collins and i playing off of each other on the guitar and lee's drumming is so fun um it always feels like he's like rolling downhill while he plays the drums um and so the, the I, I just think the song came together really well and um especially now because there was a period a long period of time where i didn't own any of our own records and so i could only hear crappy youtube rips what happened you just you just didn't have anything well so i when i moved to boston in 2001 i sold all of my musical equipment um, and had to leave like a th- at least a third, if not a half of my record collection at a friend's house in Little Rock. Uh, because Lee and I moved up to Boston together um, and he drove his van and I, I had to help. I was, I had to help my father move. So I was, was in the, another part of the country and then I was making my own way without a vehicle to Boston. And so they took of my, they took what little stuff of mine that they could in the van. Nice. Um, and I knew that I was going to have to leave a bunch of records. And so um, my, the, my copies of the seven inches were left behind and a whole bunch of other stuff. Like I can't even imagine now what, what I've lost. <laughs> um, but, but they, I think they've since been like distributed amongst people of little rock my so yes. anyway um but so uh to hear it now to hear like uh a proper version of it 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 is it's uh it's it's really fun that that song I, and another song on that record that i really love the way that it came out was um me versus you mm-hmm. um uh, i just think that like collins's guitar work on that was so good and it was his idea to come up with to, to add in the all the kind of um harmonic feedback um that kind of bleeds through and i just love like how bombastic the the like that crescendo is and and um at the end the last like 45 seconds of the song and hannah's vocals kind of soar on top of it it just was it's just really really fun and sounds nothing like any of our inspirations that we that brought us together as a band um initially 
Um, That's awesome. I mean, when I listen back, it's, you know, hearing euphoria it's like or not hear, hearing that it's, it's it sounds euphoric it sounds like there's this epic sort of moment to it was that organic i know i've uh, bands try to do it but i just think uh, it's it, it came across to me when i heard it that um it just felt um natural and you guys were again coming from all these different places and coming up with something unique yeah it it is i would say it is very organic i one of the things that you can kind of pick up a lot in our, um, in kind of our catalog is, um, there's a, a, a handful of songs that have some, some long, longer crescendos or have, um, uh, moments of tension and then release. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of that is was like we like the song the song off the LP um, Taxi. Mm-hmm. We specifically were like, we want at least half of this song to be just one slow build. <laughs> right up my wheelhouse. Nice. And just like build and build and build and build. Um, and and which I think it came out came out really like really well and um it's so the the it, it will a lot of it was just really organic and you know we'd be in the we'd be in in the practice room and um like lee would make suggestions about guitar parts or changes to the rhythm of the guitar or like what what piece should come next and it's not like any none of our compositions are super complex um at all <laughs> uh there's a bunch of un- uh, like unreleased uh stuff that that was way more complex uh as we got more skilled at our instruments but it was you know we didn't have a bass player so some of what we were figuring out how to do was to fill out that sound if we're both playing the guitars and we don't have the, the synthesizer to kind of fill out the low end then then how do we how do we make this sound bigger Right, like that. the The first seven inch recording doesn't have a bass on it at all. It does. It sounds like there is, but there isn't. Um, and it, but it would. It was if you know. It was just the 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 three of us kind of working off of each other on um, how to put together a song that that <clears throat> felt like satisfying. Um, where there's there's some tension and some release and um, the um, you know the and there's we recorded six songs there and uh, the four songs on that first seven inch and then the two songs that came out on the split seven inch with the Shyness Clinic um, and and that those were our for essentially our first six songs us learning how to write music together wow um hannah and i figuring out like hannah wrote uh uh i would say probably 60 to 70 percent of those lyrics and then i wrote some of them some for her to sing or then some that i was singing as well and um and and so much of that um you know, I, I, earlier I described that kind of like magical summer feeling that we had in Little Rock. And so much of that was being that we were like high school students, like high school kids. A lot of that, that 
the like lyrical subject matter and um and kind of um and what is it imagery that we were using and and then and also just kind of the sound was in my mind is like really kind of in trying to capture and encapsulate that kind of that feeling of like being in high school having having like the freedom of the summer and um and and the kind of like quick powerful feelings of like young love and crushes that come up really fast and then like that 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 storyline kind of continues onto the split, split seven inch with this like um like the sadness of both a relationship ending and having to return back to school or or the fall and the the weather getting colder and all of that and how like how in that time of one's life all of those things just kind of get smushed together right like you're having all of these like wild big huge adult human emotions but there's and I think this is beautiful. I'm not saying this in a derogatory way at all. I think it's really special that they, that like you have all these big human emotions, but then also, at least for me, I didn't have like the language comprehension or life experience to understand how they're, it's not all just one big thing. It's a bunch of different things interacting with each other um, inside my heart, my brain, my soul, other people's hearts, other people's souls. Uh, and um, and so then I think that's one of the reasons, um, it feel, it feels really cathartic. Some of, some of the bits of it is cathartic. It's fun. Um, and, but also the, it, it's, the lyrics are pretty straightforward. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not the most, most complex. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 16 years old i'm not sure um i also like i was thinking about this um uh the other day and i was like you know there was there was like the the version of emo where you could like there's a a wailing trumpet in the background and some tinkling guitars and like a loud blast beat and then somebody like crying into a microphone on the floor and and well and that's beautiful unto itself like people bearing their souls like deeply and then there was this other version that was like no we're going to keep that stuff a little bit locked away um and i know for me as an individual at that point in my life had i allowed myself to go to that other like more raw place i don't know how i would have pulled myself back hmm Cause I was going through like a lot of stuff inside. And so like for a while, a lot of what, what I was writing about, it started as superficial until I started to learn how to use my language and use, and use like better metaphors and imagery and whatnot to kind of let some of that out without me just being in a, in a dark place. So was the, was this, was the band helpful for that? Oh, very, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, for sure. And the, um, yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, 
you don't have to, you can say, you know, what it was or those things, but I feel like those are those moments, like, like you said, you've got, you've got this moment in time, you're with everybody, you're present, but you're not understanding a lot of it. And you're, but you've got a, a network of people or friends to see you through as much as you can at that age. Yeah. And like, I think if you asked, like, so I, uh, a lot of it was me dealing with my sexuality. I like came, I came out when I, in 99, early 2000. Wow. Um, and, um, and so a, a lot of it was, um, I, 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 I imagine most of my friends knew, I think a lot of them did, but I, I, I wasn't sure what was going on in my, my brain and my heart at the time. Wow. Um, and, and I had this, you know, and I had this, I had a, a girlfriend who like classic, you know, you look back at it and you're like, well, no shit, Christopher. Like, of course, <laughs> but, uh, I had a, I had a, a girlfriend who I had met while I was in boarding school and she was still in Florida while I was in Arkansas. And like, that was a very easy, I, and I, I, I look back on it now. And I'm like, well, I was a total asshole to her with all of this, but um, I reflect, I'm like, Oh, that's, that was a really easy way for me to like, not have to deal with any of the stuff that I was thinking about or going through. Wow. Um, and then it wasn't like I was worried about, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't worried about coming out and being, um, rejected or disliked or whatever. Um, I just wasn't sure what was going on, um, with me. Um, like the, the Little Rock community was like like the DIY community was fucking awesome. A bunch of really fucking cool kids. Right. Um, it was just, this is, this is easy. So now I don't have to, I'm not, I don't have to worry about dating. I've got a girlfriend. Right. (laughs) But then also I'm like in this band writing love songs, um, about things that I don't really understand myself at all. So, um, yeah. Was that uh, when the, moving up to Boston, was that the band ending? I need to do something else or was it work related or what was that part of it? Well, so part of it was, um, so we, let's see, we were a band until we played our last show in 2000. Um, and we, we toured in 99. We recorded the album. I'm working backwards. Let me move forward. So I was going to check out. Did you ever play North Carolina? We did. Where? We Chap- Chapel Hill. So we played you, a basement. Oh, I was going to say if you played Ghost Studios or... Um, no, we create... played a basement. Who'd you that's play a, with? That's actually a, a fun story. Um, so we were uh, we played with this band called The Oxes. Oh. Um, and they were, they were on tour as well. I don't remember who, where they were from. And they were kind of like that, like, if I remember correctly, it was like kind of like that... Don Caballero kind of uh, the fucking champs. Yep. Uh, Trans Am kind of like highly skilled technical musicians playing loud, um, somewhat aggressive music. They were great. But um, this, is, this is actually a kind of a fun story is we were driving from um, we were driving from Baltimore to Chapel Hill on that tour and we're driving down the highway. Our van's AC was busted. The van was a piece of shit. I think we paid like five. I think somebody paid five hundred bucks for it. 
Um, it was like this conversion van with like carpet everywhere, no AC, middle of the summer, driving North Carolina. The windows wouldn't roll down. So we were driving down the highway with the sliding door on the side of the van open so that we could have circulation. <laughs> um, and this van pulls up next to us and they're holding a sign in the window, that, like a handwritten on a piece of note paper. It says, let's be enemies. That's funny. And then they start shooting bottle rockets at us. <laughs> and they pull ahead and it's clearly a punk band. They've got stickers all over the back of their van. They're like clearly on the highway heading to a show somewhere. We have never seen these people before in our lives. So we're like driving like stupid teenagers making fools out of ourselves, throwing cake out of our window at their windshield, like just trying to like, you know, back and forth with each other. And then we blow a fan belt. And so we pull over and have to get the van repaired. We're late to our show in Chapel Hill. We finally get to the show in Chapel Hill. We were supposed to be like the third of four bands. We get there and the third band is playing and it's those, those guys from the van. Oh, that's so funny. And so we walk in and it's the, it's the, um, the oxes were the band that had, had thrown all this or that had asked us to be enemies. Um, which is how we ended up getting the title of the LP. <laughs> That's so God, where the fuck was I? God damn it. <laughs> Shit. And we were we were um I don't remember if they were with us on that tour, but we were we played or on that sh- on that leg of the tour. Um I know they picked up with us right after that and because we played I think we played it with Greenville. South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. we played in Greenville at a skate park. Um but uh we were with we we played a bunch of shows with um, Book of Dead Names. Oh wow! Um, yeah, because Travis um, had come through Little Rock with Book of Dead Names and also songs of Zarathustra, um, and and then like uh, there was another band, nineteen nineteen, with um, Carrie from that band Makara was. So we we and this that was very like. Even though they were from Minneapolis, it was very Little Rock of us being this like emo kind of pop band on tour with like a grindcore band right. and Book of Dead Names. And I was like, <laughs> and we didn't think anything of it. I was like, this is perfect. Um, <laughs> so, how were you like? How were you feeling personally? Um, you know, when it, like you said your last show and you were kind of moving up. Like, what was that? What was like that like then? When this sort of well, so, part ended? Yeah. So every it, like. Collins was at college. Uh, Hannah was off at college. Lee um, had was um, in Fayetteville, which is only about two and a half hours away from Little Rock. So everybody was close, but not real close. And we you know, and during all of that time, also we added in a bass player and a keyboard player. Uh, I don't want to forget to mention that like Matt and John were with us for John. Matt joined us on bass. Um, right after we recorded the second seven inch and was with us for the rest of the time. So that was like 90 end of 97 to the end of the band. So like three years. And then John joined us right, um, right uh, after the LP was recorded. So he was writing all the new stuff with us and also played with us uh, on tour and all of that. Um, And that was because we were writing all this music that we couldn't, we couldn't play faithfully if we only had the four of us right um and so um 
so John and Collins were off at school. Hannah was off at school. Lee had moved up to Fayetteville. Matt and I were living in Little Rock at the time. So we were getting together, you know, once a month to like practice and play a show. Um, and so it, it, there was never like a formal like ending to the band. We just kind of um, stopped playing shows for a while. And Lee had started his new band at the time, The Body, who's still going now. Um and uh and so that was that was taking up a lot of his time and energy um and and uh i had i had fi- i'd finally come out and i was like in little rock doing this i was doing some um a, a lot of like political uh uh advocacy work um it, with an organization called equality arkansas and um and so i was i that was kind of taking up a lot of my time and energy. Um, and the end of 2000, we, we played our last show, uh, in Fayetteville was our last, um, show as a band. Uh, and like Collins got his amp stolen and like from the parking lot. And then we were like, this has gotta be a sign. Um, uh, but, but, Lee had applied to art school and he had decided he was moving to Boston to go to art school. And, um, and a couple other friends from the Sufi nun squad crew were moving to, uh, were moving up to Boston as well. Cause they wanted to be closer to New York and have more professional opportunities. Cause one's a music journalist and one's a composer. And so we were all sitting around at like the local bar that everybody hung out at during the holidays this was like i remember it as christmas eve of 2000 and i'm like feeling really frustrated about just living in little rock and like this small number of possibilities for both personal and professional life for me and lee and lee is uh lee and and michael and ryan I don't know if they were all there, but at least Lee was there. And, and I look at, and he's talking about the move and I look at Lee and I say, Hey Lee, you should invite me to come with you. And he's like, Hey, you want to come with me? And I was like, sure. So that was Christmas Eve of two, of 2000. I, um, land, I like end up in Boston on like January 3rd of 2001. So I like decided to leave on Christmas Eve got rid of all my stuff, packed stuff up and stored at friends' houses, and then was gone. Wow. Um, and so by the, because Lee and I were had moved away, that was essentially the end of it. Um, Collins had started a new band um, that, that toured for a long time and recorded several albums, and, um, and, and everybody just kind of got busy with the rest of their lives. And I, I figured Lee and I would probably play music again when we got to Boston. He was not long for Boston. Boston is expensive and um, and kind of stuffy. Uh, and so he ended up um, moving to Providence, which isn't far, but he ended up moving to Providence um, after about a year in Boston. But I wasn't making enough money to be able to move. I couldn't leave. I was like kind of stuck um like living paycheck to paycheck not able to save up any money to get out of the out of out of the boston area and i was also working with an organization at the time um and so that i was really enjoying that work um and so by the time lee moved the body was like really picking up and 
And so I just kind of poured myself into what I assumed was going to be like the next evolution of my life. And here I am 22 years later. (laughs) So I do want to get to the in-between, but I know that I want to get back to the music too. Like what has been the, what has been the work that you have been doing since, since the band? So, um, uh, I, I mean, I've done a handful of different things. Like my first five or six years in Boston was just trying to figure out like what path I was going to take. Cause like I said, I really loathed, uh, um, formal education. So I did go to college for a year and then dropped out. And that was, and then, then spent that next year, 99 to 2000, kind of figuring out what I was going to do. Um, and, and thought, all right, I'll figure it. Let's, let's do this tour. Let's see how well we can make this band work. And not, we did, none of us had any aspirations of, of us like blowing up and being big at all. Um, but, uh, so like I waited tables for a while and then all the while working at this organization, the organization's called Bagley. It's the Boston Alliance of Gay and Lesbian Youth. It's the long, the oldest, gay youth organization in the country Wow! and um, founded back in the late seventies by this wonderful woman, Grace Sterling Stowell still exists. They, they were the first ones to ever create like a, a queer prom um, that now happens every year at city hall with thousands of kids from all over new England come to this queer prom. And I was, it's a, really really cool organization and i could spend hours talking about the structure of it and how how impactful it was for me um but i uh spent some time working with them and then i transitioned to sitting on the board of directors there and so then i ended up having some some more time to pursue other endeavors i ran a like a very small clothing line for about two years um that i designed and and sold at like small high-end boutiques in LA and Boston and then um, quickly was like well if punk rock wasn't making any me any money there's no way this is going to make me any money Um, and uh, kind of fell back into my old life even before uh, punk rock which was um, I started I started uh, swimming for fitness because swimming was my sport and uh got asked by the team that I was swimming with for fitness if I would coach them. So I started coaching them um, and quickly realized I was good at it. Wow. And, and so uh, I, I then sought out a proper job coaching a youth swim team. So I was hired to, to build a learn to swim program and a competitive swim team associated with it. And I, and I, thought, well, this is a really great way to blend a couple of my different skills, my, my, my understanding of the sport, but also my youth leadership development skills that I, um, honed working at the nonprofit organizations. And then, um, and also just like, sometimes you have to figure out how to get some stuff done, which was like that, you know, putting, sitting in a, bedroom hand cutting 500 record covers and then dropping them in the mailbox to send off to wherever. Um, and so I've been doing that for 16 years now. I've been coaching. Um, I left the first team that I was working with six years ago, started my own team 
Um, and, and our, it's, it's essentially just a big community building, uh, project for me, working with young people, trying to help them uncover and discover the power that they actually, that power over their lives that they actually possess, that the world tells them they don't. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's what I've been doing. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm pretty pretty good at it. I really like it. I can love working with, with teenagers. They're, uh, funny, um, and really smart. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got, a, I've got a girl who's been on the U S national junior team for the last four years. She's made world championships in 2019 and, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm good at it. That's awesome. <laughs> Just no, brag but, a bit. no, I you should. This is your this is your episode. I I think it's great that you know you finding that um, match of oh wait I've done this and I've done this. Let me marry these two together, and you, I can just hear it. You you love it, and I think it's the same way you were talking about the music and your friends when you were talking about Little Rock. It was the same sound. Yeah, and actually, you know, I look at it, and you know, a lot of people look at sports and think oh, it takes up so much time and like, it's just like war games for teenagers and whatever. And like, ultimately I, you know, I, if, if, if true liberation, like people love to talk to me about like trans issues and sports. Mm -hmm. And I, and my response is always, if, if true liberation means that sports disappears and I'm out of a job, I would happily find a new career happily. Um, but I want to make sure that I'm creating a space where any athlete feels comfortable enough to actually trust me and their teammates to, to tell us, right. Right. That's the thing that's important for me. But then I will, I look at the kids and they, they do, they spend, they spend 16, 20, you know, sometimes 30 hours a week when we're, when we're traveling for meets and stuff together and, and they're, they're their closest friends and they're having, they're creating those same memories and inside jokes and, um, and they have this common interest in bonds. Like I did with, you know, all of my friends in high school with, with music and they've, this is their, you know, they're, you know, they're having their own teenage adventures, um, with this, with this community. And, and I just like, no, I like to, I know that I have an impact on making sure that it's a safe and supportive place for them to, to be and have those, those experiences. Um, and, and, and so, because when I, when I, I left the sport because I was, I, you know, I, I was not treated kindly by my peers. Um, and that's one of the things that really drew me into the, like the, Little Rock scene was that like everyone was really kind and friendly and supportive and welcoming. Um, and so I just, you know, when I started my team, I thought I, I want to make sure that I'm creating a team where no one ever had to feel the way that I was made to feel in the locker room or on the bus or, or whatever. I mean, I have a, I have a funny memory. I think it's funny now, but I, I, you know, I was PJ Harvey was really big for me if you talk about quiet loud, but like the first two PJ Harvey albums were really important to me in the early nineties. And that was, that would be like my pump up music before races. And I, one of my teammates steal my Walkman and then stand up in front of the team and like make fun of me because of the music I listened to was so weird. I'm like, 
what the like fuck you like you <laughs> Classic. Like, i'm sorry that i'm not i'm not listening to dave matthews band i'm sorry i'm sorry since that time and um has the band you know have people reached out to you or um uh, you know about about this band and we can talk about the numero stuff in in a little bit but in between that had you had moments where people reached out uh well not not to me really uh i i remember having a very uh like a, a very uh surreal moment um, a couple years after I'd moved to Boston and I was out at this bar called Bill's bar. I was about um, to say and, you're, you're at Bill's bar. <laughs> yeah. So I was at, I was at there, and there was this party start. Right. And it happened every Saturday night at Bill's bar. Um, and I worked a couple blocks away from there. So Saturday night I would like try to get out of my shift as quickly as possible, you know, make, make my 150 bucks so that I could get out of work and then go, go, dance to the buzzcocks and whatever latest electro clash record had just come out and like and have fun with all my friends and the djs of that party were um these guys um giddy and damien who were in um the trouble and then also makeout uh, club yeah and oh yes it was a, it was essentially a makeout club party yes that, that's and i was like I didn't even know, like people were talking about that. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> I remember I, like, I never was on message boards. Uh, like really? The, 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 yeah. Like I went AOL chat rooms made no sense to me. Um, and like, yeah, it, it was, it, so was no, any... so you weren't on the bridge nine board. Nope. Not bridge nine. Don't nope. even know what that is. Wasn't on makeout club. Okay. But uh, Gibby did, or it's Gibby, Gibby, right? Yeah. Didn't he yes, start Gibby. that? He did. Yeah. Yes, he did. And so the, the party start was, was a makeout club. Like ah, it was like the party right. that was like, let's all get together and hang out. And then, and then it turned out, turned into this like huge weekly thing. Like the Interpol played there before their first EP drop. Like, I think they came with CDRs, um, uh, of their first like four songs, the Strokes played there. Uh, like um, Stewart from Bell and Sebastian DJed one night. It was like so wild. cool, like it was, so cool. It's really really cool. But I'm I'm there, like with my roommates who were all like, they were all very much like, uh, they were all art students, of, uh, uh, maybe a couple years younger than me. Um, but we're all there. And I look up at the DJ booth and Gibby is wearing a, ho a homemade everyone asked about you shirt. What? And I was like, I walked up to him and I was like, where? And he was working at other music, which is like, yes, the, the record uh, store that that became the, the, this, mu the record store that I would discover stuff in Boston. Yep. Um, and he was working at other music at the time, but he was wearing this everyone asked about you shirt that he had made on his own. Um, and I was like, Gibby, like where? where did you get that shirt? And he's like, Oh, I made it. He's like, I was like, is that, is that the band? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, I was, that's my band. And he was like, he's like, no fucking way that no, I don't believe you. And I was like, yeah, no, that's, that's my band. That's my band. It was crazy. Um, so that was like the, the probably the weirdest, um, thing that ever happened. But I, I, but I like didn't have a regular email address. My, I would change my email address like every, 
six months because I thought it was funny that you could just make up a new email address. So like nobody ever knew how to get a hold of me. I didn't get a phone until uh, like a cell phone until the first iPhone came out. Like wow. I didn't have wasn't like a razor kid. I was like I didn't have a sidekick like everybody did. Um, and so like I wasn't easy to get a hold of at all. Um, and I, I can't speak to the rest of the for the rest of the band, but like it was really kind of like radio silence um, from strangers about the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did like, we didn't, we didn't, the LP had never come out. That might have changed things if the LP had come out like in a timely fashion. Um, uh, it, but I remember I like had somebody send me uh, a Facebook message in 2016 with a video of this Japanese band I think they called like beat pops. Oh, dude, or something beat, like dude, that. that is one of my favorite YouTube channels. It's so underrated. I think they just did. Um, oh fuck, who did they just do recently? Like some super obscure stuff, and I was like, I, I, is 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 it like a school of kids, and they just like have, learn because they play in a school sometimes. It's, I have no idea because they they played a full set right like of set your stuff of of our stuff, and they play it the hard way. Cause like I said, we were learning how to play the guitar at the time. So we, we actually, here's top secret. Like if anybody's trying to figure out how to play our stuff, we tune the guitar to an open E and it's like way easier for us to play all of that stuff. <laughs> and so they play it the hard way with regular traditional tuning. Uh, and, and they, somebody sent that to me and I was like, this is the wildest thing I've ever seen. And when was like, that? 2016? That was, that, that was 2016. But like, I wasn't like never really um had anybody reach out to me but also i don't like i didn't talk about being in the band after like living in boston for about three or four years like my life had kind of changed changed and the the circles i was running in like they didn't give a shit about that at all right like (laughs) they barely would know i I don't know like they, they didn't even hit the like they didn't scratch beyond what you'd find maybe on pitchfork, but like usually it was just, they just listened to like radio music. Right. Um, the world that I ran in, I mean, it's still now. So radio uh, silence. And then when did, um, did, did Ken reach out? Yeah. So one of the guys from, uh, so it's the, the LP finally came out in 2012. um, and and that was uh you know somebody from one of the band this um this guy ian from um 1919 which was one of the bands we played a bunch of shows with on our tour randomly messaged me and was like hey like we i want to do a vinyl only run um of the lp if do you know where it is and i was like i have no idea where the the, the copy is and oh, wow. somehow it ended up mirac- like somebody found the tapes and somehow miraculously comes together um and then i think it might have been like you know ken is like really good at what he does and really good at tracking people down um and he um he emailed lee probably 2019 2018 it was a while back um because i remember uh he got lee's email through matt worth who used to run file 13 and 
now uh, is in New York. Um, and, um, and so, so Lee sends me a Facebook message back when I still had Facebook and he was like, and it was like, look at this. And it was just a, like a screenshot of this email. It's like, Hey, my name's Ken Shipley. I don't know if you know who I am. And I was like, Oh, Ken Shipley, it's tree records. I bought every tree record. <laughs> I, right. could get my hands totally. on. Like, I remember, I remember the, uh, this, I'll, I'll tell that story in a, in a minute. But so Ken, he's like, I'm, I've recently come across your band and uh, it seems like there's a lot of uh, traction and interest um, amongst like a younger generation. And we, you know, I run this label numero and we'd be, we're like moving into kind of our next phase of whatever. And we'd, we'd really be interested in working with you. And Lee sends this to me. And I like, I looked, I like replied. I was like, this has got to be a joke. Like somebody's got to be fucking with us. Like who's who's like, we couldn't sell our records when we first re- when we they, they first came out. Couldn't find a soul to pr- to press the LP. Like there's there's no way this 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 record label that just did like the most beautiful four box box set of my all time favorite band in the most beautiful way is interested in re- doing something like that for us. That's 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 this isn't real. Um, but it was. But it was. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, you know, anyway, so we get that email and then I would say like once every three or four months, like I'd follow up with Lee, Hey, did, like you ever hear back about that? Or like, what's going on with that? And Lee was like perpetually touring. Like he, Lee is either touring with the body following the grateful dead or, or following dead and company or recording with the body that's basically or or yeah that I mean, or hanging out with his dog those are like the four things that he does um and i don't mean to minimize that he, that, that sounds like a wonderful life and that sounds like an don't. actually fantastic life he, yeah, he, like we don't at me <laughs> he would have wanted the tickets that i burned yeah if yes, i if yes. i had won yeah yeah so so I mean, so, for, so you so, were bugging uh, lee so you were bugging lee and then finally no, i messaged lee and then lee would send me back another email that he'd gotten and like i I had no way, no way of getting a hold of Hannah. She's like, she's a nurse. She, she lives in Arizona now. She's done some like off the grid work for a while, or at least her and her, her husband, like spend a lot of time, not on the grid. Um, or at least that, that was the messages that I had been given. Um, uh, I hadn't seen John or talked to John um in years not since i left little rock i'd bumped in i'd i'd seen matt i had a work conference in san diego like we weren't we hadn't really been in touch none of us really were in touch and it was clearly something where the whole band needed to be involved and um but Lee was the primary point person. Ken didn't have my email address. Lee didn't have my email address. He only had my Facebook. Um, and, and then like the body came through one time and that's when Lee and I finally got each other's actual phone numbers after not having them for a long time. Cause my phone number changed like three or four times. Um, and then, uh, then COVID hits. So this is like about a year and a half of like, three every three to six months me and lee checking back in with each other um and then we looped matt into it because matt was on instagram and so we were able to connect that way 
and we're all but we're all still like this is this can't be like they must not know who they're talking like they don't know who they're talking to this is definitely numero but this is not like really this is what they want to do um and uh so covid hits and um everybody does their bunkering and sheltering and all of that right um lee sends me uh another email from ken and was like hey last chance like we're serious and we do actually want to do this uh which is and 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 so then i was like reply say we got to talk to the rest of the band but let's get the ball rolling and so so it was january of this year um we finally got all of our ducks in a row and um covid for me was one of those things where i was like all right i have to take a look at like how i'm living my life and what i'm doing um and and find a little bit more balance i love what i do but it can take it can eat up my life very fast um and so i was like yes let's let's try to see what what comes of this um and so by you know may of of this year the whole band was on board with doing it and then it was just a matter of like figuring out like what it was all going to look like and how it was going to play out and so there's a there's going to be a a release and then shows right yeah so well it's going to be shows and then a release so right now we're in the process of and we didn't ha- we don't have any say in it and I don't I don't know anything about the industry as it stands now so I just let the people that know about it we just kind of said do you guys do do this how you want to do this right but they are we are three songs into releasing the first EP on digital awesome but then a couple of other songs from the singles and then there'll be a physical release double LP discography in next fall awesome of 23 so that's really exciting and we're kind of been enjoying working on that um and then as as that was all happening like right when we first like right when we finalized our agreement with numero that's when ken was like hey this is top secret but we are putting together a um we're putting together a a a 20th anniversary festival for the label and we're going to have some really cool bands on it. And we, would you all consider reuniting? Awesome. And, it's pretty rad. And, yeah. And so <laughs> it was very rad. And um, I, so we are having a band meeting, hashing out some of the like business side, which like I could care less about, like this is all just kind of a fun experience and story to tell. And then we're, we move into talking about whether or not we want to get together and play these shows. Cause we like, I, I mean, I haven't played in a band. I haven't played a live show since everyone asked about you's last show. Wow. And, and I only just replaced, like got another guitar in my house in during COVID. That was like one of my COVID projects was like, I'm going to re I'm going to pick this back up. Um, and so I hadn't really played the guitar since 2000. So we're sitting in this band meeting over zoom and, um, and I was about to be like, I don't think we can do this. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm, 
I, I'm worried I'm going to embarrass myself or ourselves or each other or not honor or respect like all of this work and passion and emotion that we put into this thing 25 years ago. Um, and, and then I just, start, but I didn't say anything and everyone just kind of started talking and they're like, like the essential gist of it was, you know, we're mid forties and we all have our lives and we're all, we're all successful in the way that we define success in our lives right now. And like everything else we do right now is just about like having fun and cool stories to tell. And we've, we're in the process of building this really cool story about how this super obscure band that like played a hand, like a handful of shows outside of Arkansas ever never played to more than, you know, 150 people. And that was, that was huge who sold a grand total of maybe 1200 records between all four of our releases. And we get to go and play a show in LA. Like we're building this great story and we're just, then, then we're going to, part of that story is we got asked to play this really cool show in LA and we're going to say, no, that's a shitty story. Right. Like that's why you can't say no to that. Um, and, and so we, we all said, well, let's do it. Like Matt still plays music regularly. John's always playing music. Collins was in a band for several years after everyone asked about you. Um, and Lee obviously is still playing music all the time. And so it, 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 it was daunting, but then everyone was like, we can, we can do this. It'll be great. It'll be really fun. Um, and so uh, one of the things I suggested was, well, we should, we should get together beforehand, not just expect that we're going to be able to figure it out in a week in LA. Let's get together beforehand. So we're all um, returning to Little Rock for Christmas this year. And I haven't, like I said, I haven't been back since 2004. So we're returning to, to Little Rock for Christmas to rehearse for a few days and then play our like hometown reunion shows um, over the Christmas holidays. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Um, we we had talked about playing, you know, one show at a bigger venue, and then we decided we would do two shows um, at a smaller venue, a venue I never got to play in Little Rock, because uh, we wanted to, we wanted like our parents and you know our friends with kids to be able to come and watch uh, and not be at a show until eleven o'clock at night and. Um, reconvening in LA for a week before Numero and then we'll play the, or Numero and then we'll play the Numero 20 festival, um, which is wild, right? Like I'm okay. Now I'm on stage with, I'm sharing a stage with unwound my all time favorite band karate who ended up on every single mixtape I ever made in the nineties. Absolutely. Um, Ida, which was essentially, uh, the CD that would be in any, any car that was driving to the pool to go skinny dipping, like we would all like that, that entire summer. Um, and then like the hated, what the, what? Like the hated was a band. I, I never was not able to hear the hated until it made its way to digital, but it was like everyone in Little Rock loved the hated, but no one could find a copy of their records or even get a cassette copy of it. And there was like two <laughs> people that had access to their music and everyone was like, they're the, they're the best. 
Um, and so, you know, to be like, I can't believe that we're playing that same, same stage under the same bill. It's wild. Um, and like, and chisel chisel was chisel used to come through little rock and everyone loved chisel. I was, I was a huge fan of Ted Leo. My, you know, my old roommate, Chris Wilson played drums with, with the pharmacist for a long time. And, and so like, I would always go see Ted Leo anytime he was in Boston. Um, and, and so it's, it's exciting to then be on stage with them. They will be playing the noise pop festival in San Francisco right after numero. Um, and we're playing with chisel at the great American music hall. So we've got a grand total of four shows that we are pl- that we are committed to playing in the next six months. You're not stoked at all. Less, not at all. No, yeah. it's not fun. Yeah, it's, it's not, not going to be. It's not going to be fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like your band can have another life, and people have been sharing it probably throughout the years. And to have something official and have it be all sort of, and then to have this sort of nice crescendo as we had in your music yep. to have a show and to be, have this stuff outright. Um, it does, again, it doesn't make me think the nineties was the best. No, now is the best because more people can hear it than ever. Right. Hey, you know, I, it's been, it's been interesting because, or like some of the, the most fun things that have happened, um, basically since 2016, I, 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 you know, somebody will send me, uh, like a, homemade skate video that somebody made where they put one of our songs over their like their like skateboard video which is super sweet and cool and then you know i run all of our social media uh which i'm not very good at but i do it anyway and um you know getting messages from people about like oh my god we love your band i like when we when i first put together that our instagram like and like had like zero followers and all of a sudden Reddit's like, Oh my God, everyone asked about you as an Instagram. What does this mean? Right. Um, and it's just been like to actually just start to discover that there is this fan base and the vast majority of them are not of my generation, which right. I think is really cool. Yeah. That, that's the, I mean, that's, that's, what's been crazy about this is that I, I would meet people in New York when I lived there and they would know way more than me. And I was in it. I'm like, how do you know about that band? You know? And it was just this uh, sort of like, you know, tape trading on steroids um, because yeah, of the and internet. And I think it's, and you get, it's, you know, you, you're in your own little reverb chamber Yeah. when you're, when you're in it because there is no, vast access to the internet or whatever. And, and so you're just like only hearing what you're hearing from the people that you see and you're seeing mostly the same people over and over again. And then all of a sudden the internet exists and it connects all, it starts connecting all these dots of, of pockets of scenes from all over the country and all over the world that were starting to pick up like, little bits of the same like musical stylings or whatever. And, um, and like, like connecting the DNA of those bands when in fact, maybe those bands have never heard of each other or, or anything, you know? Yeah. 
It's 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 rad. So that's why you know I, I I get flack of saying that, you know, we talked about the '90s and that time period where it got fast. It, it's great to know that years later there is some, even though it might have the might shows might have been small or there might have been less people. There's this sort of second time that um, they can get their due when it, things weren't really written down or saved. Um, for uh, I think based me spending 15 years of my life looking at all this stuff a lot of stuff wasn't saved and so you know for to still have those tapes or to still have some photos and things is important to to share because it's sort of a missing moment so to have you guys sort of get to you know the great thing is you're still around you're still alive you're still friends and you can play together um, uh, regardless of how many people show up or how many people buy it at least that happened yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to, to that, the, your point about um, the, like, the lack of, like, documentation and, and the way that memories were kept. I mean, we have, we have an entire, like, one of the songs on our LP is essentially about, like, the, the record keeping uh, uh, of, the, like, of the punk rock community, which was literally just a shoebox of flyers and pictures right. in in the corner of your room and like, and that's, and, and, an oral history, like talking to each other. And, you know, the, the I, I think I, I've mentioned Chris Wilson several times. It, he was like the best documentarian. He had like uh, notebooks of every show he'd ever played and, and shows that he'd seen. And then like a, a an accompanying box filled with pictures and, and flyers from all the shows that he had been to. And we lived together for a year and, and he would like, we would just sit and pour through it. Like, Oh, this show was so good. And this show was amazing. And like, well, here's the flyer for that show. And it's like, you know, now everything is just documented as it's happening. And so nobody has to think about how they're going to keep track of it all. They just have to like click to the right tab and then they can scroll back to their archive and it's there. Right. Um, until it's not and their phone dies and they don't back <laughs> up their shit. Um, yeah, that, that's, that was my conversation with a lot of bands, um, popular bands, uh, huge bands that would not even save anything. And um, yeah, so that's awesome. I'm really happy for you. I'm so glad we got to connect and um, hear this story. And um, I will definitely be at the shows. And um, it, it's, it's, it's just awesome to know that this, you know, came back around. Well, sweet. I look forward to meeting you in, in person, and this has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Any other questions or anything else? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm good. This was fun. Awesome. Are you doing any other pods? Uh, no, this is the first one. You know, it's funny because like, I've been encouraged multiple times to do a podcast about my coaching. Oh! Which is wild. Um. And the other thing that I didn't mention at all is that I'm an avid D and D player. Really? And, and D and D podcasts are wildly popular right now. And so my group keeps talking about, Oh, we should do a podcast. I'm like, I am, do not have the energy or time for that. Um, this does take a lot of, a lot of fucking time. <laughs> doing yeah, it, no, doing if, it, I, I don't let anybody else edit. Um, I edit myself because I can't let someone else like I, I, I kind of been editing as we've been talking, like not myself looking at, you know, logic, right. but like in my head, I'm like, this point's cool. Let me put this here. So it's been fun to do that. But yeah, uh, it is a, it is a lot of time and, and D and D's got a lot of layers too. Yeah, no, you, you were the, um, 
you were the first podcast to reach out that that I was like, this would be interesting to do. Like I can talk about coaching, but I I I have a also a strong case of imposter syndrome. And so I always get nervous, even though I know that I'm good at it. Like I'm always getting nervous that I would say something and somebody who I respect would be like, well, you're full of shit, aren't you? Oh, um, oh man. The amount of hate mail I get. Good God. <laughs> when I got the email about this, uh, and I don't want to keep eating up your time, but when I got the email about this podcast and I had just started, you had just started to pop up into the band's Instagram feed Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so then I was like, all right, well, I'm nervous cause I had just been doing, I've been doing my interviews with Ken and, and Ken's asking like really specific, like very detail oriented questions where I was like, I don't, my brain does not work in that way. Like I cannot pull up an exact date of that particular show or right. who else played it. Right. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm down to do this, but like, I don't, I don't know what this podcast is like, so I don't know what, what I like. So I went back and I listened to a handful of stuff. Cause Oh shit. Which ones did you listen to? So, so I listened, I listened to the one of the ones of the people I knew. So I listened to the Mike Parcell one. Oh which God, was really I fun. love that one. Yeah. Which was really fun. Cause I also, I really liked, I, I liked frail, but I, the frail elements of need split seven inch turned me on to elements of need who I fucking right. love. Right. Um, and then, I listened to the Jamie Tillman one because uh, Harriet the Spy used to come through um, Little Rock all the time. Something I didn't say in this interview uh, was that like one of my biggest hopes and dreams was because Lee was in the band called Divine Hookup and they did a record on Donut Friends um, with it was Matt Worth and Lee and um, this guy John Pugh who played drums for Chick 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 and mm-hmm. like a bunch of and a handful of other people. Uh, they were a band the same time we were. Lee did this, so they did this record with Donut Friends and Harry the Spy and all of the Kent Ohio bands would come through. And I had this pipe dream that we would be able to do a split seven inch with the man I fell in love with because I thought it, because I thought our music would fit well together and also we both had really long song titles or, yes. or um, band names. Right. Um, but I listened to the, the Jamie Tillman one cause I actually use his pedals. Um, cool. and, and, and then who else did I? I've listened to a handful now. Oh, I listened to the Sarah Lund one cause she's the best drummer in the world. Yeah. Sarah um, was, I, I was really honored that she wanted to talk. Um, and I think I did a, I, if I'm honest, I, I tried to be a little bit different than just bring up the usual tropes with that band. And I, I, I thought I was sort of successful, but I, she was very yeah, kind. Well, was, was that before or after um, the, the Numero release? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, I think before. Well, no, no, it was, it, it was definitely after. But that was, so that was the one that listening to that one was like, I'm good. I can, I know I can do this because I can just talk about what Little Rock was like in the nineties and Little Rock had like knowing that like heart attack had, would describe things as having the Little Rock sound. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can just talk about what the late nineties was like there. And then I don't have to remember specific dates. No, and shows you don't and- have to remember <laughs> shit. You don't have to remember. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate Tom. I, I know it's late out there uh, in Beantown. Um, but I, again, this is an honor to talk to you. I'm so glad that Ken was able to connect us and, um, you know, look forward to uh, meeting when you guys come out to LA. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fun. Very excited. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.